0: Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we recently just did our conversation with David Benham. So this is part two of our conversation at the Confronting the Culture Conference. Uh, real honor to just sit down with some absolutely brave cultural warriors for Jesus in the public square. Um, just like we did the Love Life California c- conversations with everyone at the conference today, as of this recording, we're at Godspeak Calvary Chapel for the Confronting the Culture conference put on by Wrath and Grace with Vody Bacham, David Benham, who we had on the show last week, Owen Strand, myself, and other ministries supporting life and liberty and getting the church to gird up their loins to confront the culture of death with the gospel, not the the Tim Keller gospel, which just means proclaiming the gospel and letting unborn children be lynched by the left, but the gospel in the sense of all of Christ for all of life, that it actually means something, what you believe and how you live. Orthodoxy ought to lead to orthopraxy. That's a biblical thing in case you hadn't heard about that. Owen Strand, one of my favorite academics in the public square, because as you know, you guys listen to the show, you've heard me talk about the problems with Christian higher education, especially with Westmont College and others. It feels so discouraging that there's not very many Christian academics who are actually engaged in their faith in the public square that have something to say about unborn children being lynched, about eight-year-old boys having their genitalia chopped off because their public school teacher told them that they must be a girl because they played with a Sally doll once. All of the issues that the church and pastors are silent on, and those ideas often come from the universities, because you universities function as a cultural crystal globe for where the public will be in 20 years. But there are some beautiful exceptions. And one of those exceptions is Professor Owen Strand right here. Um, Tell us Arkansas, tell us the seminary, Tell us your background, because I think you're really going to fire up and bless our listeners, Owen, because I get the comments, Seth, my, my, my student is a leftist now, and mm. I, I sent them to what I thought was a Christian college. So I think mm. you'll be a breath of fresh air mm. um, for our listeners. But Owen, what a blessing to have you on the show. Mm. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. And I, I love
1: uh, the subject of Christian education and education more broadly. So that's, that's a great topic for us to have, because there's actually not a lot of discussion about it today That's so true. um like frank discussion yeah so so we can we can go there if you want but yeah i'm from coastal maine originally really yeah Where at um near bar harbor okay it's called machias maine How's far that from how far is that from Bangor? it's two hours okay cool yeah i grew up
0: playing basketball in bangor wow and, cool uh, yeah yeah that I, was... I've, I've preached before at calvary chapel Bangor, maine okay Ken yeah. graves is a monster behemoth of a man
1: calvary <laughs> chapel uh, after I played high school basketball, you can tell my frame of reference here, <laughs> getting a lot of basketball already, despite the height. love but, it. But um, Calvary Chapel became kind of a basketball powerhouse in... Boys Eastern Maine Class D basketball. We did. You didn't know we were, you were going to get this on the podcast today, but there's your boys basketball in coastal That's Maine awesome. dynamics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, grew up there. Oh, wow. Um, went to Southern Seminary for my MDiv, Trinity in Chicago for my PhD okay. in historical theology. Oh, beautiful. Um, taught at Boys College. That sounds
0: fascinating. Historical theology. Historical theology.
1: Taught at Boys College and Southern Seminary for five years, 2010. Yeah, boys. Yeah. Then went to um, Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City from 2015 to 21. And then got a call just this last year to Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. So I've been doing that for almost a year now. I have three kids married to Bethany. My kids are 13, 10, and 8, girl, boy, girl. Uh, we have a lot of football uh, dynamics in the house. We have um, a lot of crafting and baking, and wow. so it's a glorious mix of <laughs> masculine and feminine and head spinning at all times. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's, That's awesome.
0: Um, so I, I've followed you on on social media for a while, and uh, you know we have a we have respect with or relationships with some similar people like uh, John Harris of the Conversations mm-hmm. That Matter podcast, and obviously now Vody here at the conference. Definitely, um, big fan of. Um, of Douglas Wilson and everything mm-hmm. going on in Moscow, Idaho mm-hmm. with Christ Church and with New St. Andrews College. But there's just such a there's such an absence of a robust Christian civic ethic, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it, yep. um, coming from the academic levels. And, you know, we just met today, but, you know, you heard my talk and coming from mm-hmm. Westmont, uh, man, a, a Christian college in Santa Barbara, Montecito, California, mm-hmm. a stone's throw away from Oprah's house. Um, and and I can't think of any other phrase but C.S. Lewis's man without chests. I mean, mm-hmm. the the discouragement and the attacks I got for starting a pro-life club and, and publicly holding my alma mater, Owen, to account for hiring pro-abortion professors, um, uh, Deborah Dunn, Mary Doctor, Omidy Ocheng, um, and there's a few others, some of who still teach there, some of whom don't, but oh. who told me in emails they were pro-choice that they supported abortion and that we need a big tent Christianity, right? And we need a big tent. We need to make room for everyone within, within the walls of the church. And I don't really see that from the apostles or from Jesus. But yeah. I, so I want to set up a question for you because um, this is what I see is so much of the norm. And so I want you to talk to the importance of that civic engagement as a theologian, as an academic, and why it's significant and important. Because mm-hmm. it Because I think that that ideology is a hell of a drug. Mm. And I, so I think that ideas have consequences mm-hmm. and bad ideas have victims. Mm-hmm. But as C.S. Lewis once said, the most dangerous ideas in a society are not the ones being argued for, mm-hmm. they're the ones being assumed. Mm-hmm. And assumed ideas or assumed premises, especially mm-hmm. when undetected, can destroy a nation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening not just in the public square, but also in the church. So as a rare and beautiful exception to this, to this what has sadly become a law, almost a rule, is, yeah. that, is that Christian academics are cowards, or they're on the left. <laughs> um, talk to all of that wherever oh God's word. taking your mind right now, because uh. all of this has significance to the pro-life issue and to the unborn, because it's the litmus test of the Republic. And if you flinch at that one point, you'll probably flinch at every other point.
1: Okay, we're going to do like Rogan, and we're going to talk for the next three hours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, well, we, we will have to sheesh. again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that is a great complex of subjects to raise, and I will try to address it like from from the side and go, in, yeah. in passing. <laughs> Basically, I think evangelical academia, whether we're talking about colleges and universities or even seminaries, has become a respectability project. Hmm. You cannot underestimate how much evangelicals have used education, especially in the last roughly 80 to to 60 years, somewhere in there, as an on-ramp into cultural respectability. If you think about where evangelicals have been positioned, say, 200 years ago, you think about Baptists and Methodists. They were not the established church in America. Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, depending on the the region of the country we're talking about, the colony we're talking about in in the 18th century especially, were really the places to go and and Mm. formally on the books established. So Baptists, Methodists, Mm. others of varying kinds were the upstarts, and they were roughnecks, and so you have a roughneck spirit, a gospel roughneck spirit, I call it, in the First Great Awakening against the established Church, from within the established Church, a figure yeah. like a Jonathan Edwards, sure. who is a Congregationalist pastor and sober and wears a <clears throat> powdered wig and these sorts of things, and Geneva robes <laughs> right. when he preaches, and yet he loves the gospel. So, so that's where American evangelical identity starts to crystallize. Uh, through yep. Edwards and Whitfield and others and then that that bleeds into the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening is kind of messier and wilder and all sorts of things to say there sure but what it does is it kickstarts Baptists and Methodists as that leading group so so what happens in the 19th century uh, is that they become they become the dominant church in right. America along with some other Denomination, sex groups, churches, and and so that flips things in the twentieth century. And I am moving at lightning pace. Yeah, no. But in the twentieth century, evangelicals come in from the wilderness and they go, "Wait a minute, we're big. We're Baptists. We're Methodists. We're uh, you know Presbyterians. We're this, that, and the other. Um, and we don't want to just be on the fringes of society anymore." Hmm. There's a there's a generation in the early to mid. 20th century of evangelicals again across lots of different groups. Yeah. that is like I don't want to be a fundamentalist because you've got mm. fundamentalists getting hit hard with the Scopes Monkey Trial, with Prohibition, the fallout from Prohibition. Oh, right. And so that all leads to the establishment of a lot of different schools, training institutes, seminaries. I wrote about this in my in my doctoral work, and it became a book called Awakening the Evangelical Mind. And the mm. push, oh, wow. the push is for respectability, credibility. Elite status. Now, there's a good emphasis in that their fundamentalism is a real thing. Uh, separationism unto exclusion is a real thing, where yeah, yeah. Christians don't engage the world. Right, That's a holy huddle. We're just waiting for the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so that's bad in my view, and I'm, I, I can tell in your view. Yeah. But there's also a real temptation as evangelicals re-engage the city of man, if you will, the city of God re- coming back into the city sure. of man. Uh, Augustine's categories yeah. that they will then become the city of man, hmm. or at least embrace the paradigm, right? Uh, the, the world view, the the posture, the desires. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the, the stereotypical city. view of homeschooling. And I was homeschooled through eighth grade, yep. so I know that it's not accurate or always applicable. Right. But the stereotypical view of homeschooling is that like we have to we have to. Um, we have to stay separated mm-hmm. and hide almost. Mm-hmm. There's a, a retreating spirit because you know right. our kids are going to be sexualized or secularized, yes. and they're going to abandon the faith. So, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I won't play this out at length, but th- I think I've, we've tried to set it up on the tee and hit the tee ball here, but that's basically, I think, what has led to, hmm. fast forward and skip a lot of things, <laughs> has led to our current paradigm in the 21st century where successive generations have grown up, not everybody... But some evangelicals uh, are desperately seeking a seat at the table, mm. a place at the table. There's a tremendous uh, biography, Oxford University Press biography of George Eldon Ladd, the great New Testament scholar. Agree with his ideas or not, everybody should read it. Who's interested in this conversation? Because Ladd is tremendously gifted. He does a Harvard PhD, and then he goes to Gordon College and other places, and, and he and and he is this voice for credibility. Mm. In the seminary world, the religious studies world, and there's a lot of good that can be done there, but if you don't watch it, what will happen is your thirst for respectability and elite status will overtake your interest in being a genuine witness in Hmm. all sorts of sectors of culture and society, and that's what happens with Ladd, even though he's a tremendously good evangelical New Testament theologian, he ends up dispirited and discouraged and literally drinks himself to death because he was not Whoa. received by secular guilds. Wow. And it is such a cautionary tale. It's Wait, one what's
0: his name? Russell Moore? What did you say his name was? <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, I didn't hear it I'm right. in enough trouble as it is. I'm trying to get me in more. But... Yeah, so George Elden Ladd okay, is, okay, a good, okay. is a good is a good paradigm for us of this respectability quest that I okay. see a ton of my peers and a ton of institutions yeah going after. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if we can just be hmm. just land in the top 25 of US yeah. News and World Report. Yeah, yeah. Then <laughs> right, right. the gospel will be taken right. seriously. Like, so, let
0: me let me summarize um uh Dr. Owen here for for you guys listening. Um unborn children become an acceptable sacrifice. On the altar of their influence. Mm. That's what you're saying. Unborn children become an acceptable sacrifice on the altar of, of public academics or pastorals influence. And the reason why I said Russell Moore, just to crack a joke for those of you guys who didn't get it. Actually, if you're listening to this episode, um, you would have already listened to the episode we released recently called "When the, Shepherd, the Shepherds That Became Wolves. For you guys listening to this, we already released that one And uh, as of you listening to this, and we talked about Tim Keller, Russell Moore, Ed Stetzer, um, and several others, but particularly uh, Russell Moore's fascination and almost man crush, uh, Owen, on Francis Collins, Mm -hmm. the disgraced former NIH director Mm -hmm. who's like besties with Dr. Frankenstein Fauci, who is Fauci seems to be going for the Joseph Mengele Award of the 21st century, Mm -hmm. Um, and Francis Collins in summary. Uh, and you guys heard this from the podcast, has funded the, the, the mastectomies of healthy 13-year-old girls who think they're boys. He has funded um, research tracking the homosexual activities of minor boys, teenagers. Um, he's called for unrestricted funding um, on embryonic stem cell research mm-hmm. and his devoted record level funding to fetal tissue research, mm-hmm. particularly with Fauci at the University of Pittsburgh, where they scalp the heads of late term aborted babies, some of whom could have survived outside the womb if cared for by doctors in a neonatal unit, mm-hmm. takes the scalps of those infants and inserts them subcutaneously on lab rats, Owen to create what they call humanized mice, and we have pictures of the infant human hair growing on the backs of lab rats so that they can be used to test experiments to find solutions to staph infections. So the baby simply becomes a sacrifice on man's pursuit for eternal life, and Francis Collins, and we detailed this, screenshots everything in the podcast, um, showing... Um, he has defended eugenic abortions when asked about uh, whether we should allow sort of oh the baby has Down syndrome through amniocentesis let's let's lynch him um, Francis Collins that's his record okay mm. in summary yeah. and and after the the public reporting came out about the funding of the University of Pittsburgh through the NIH with Francis Collins approval after that. Russell Moore said that he was very grateful for Francis Collins, his grace and humility as a Christian. Mm. And Francis Collins says he's a Christian. Okay, just an example here of a man who, for whom unborn children are an acceptable sacrifice in the altar of his influence. How can I prove that? How can I back up that statement, Owen? Well, if, let's say, instead of it being unborn children being scalped at the University of Pittsburgh, um, Russell Moore was supporting a hospital that became the beneficiary of a gang of killers who provided it with a fresh supply of black cadavers killed by white police officers. Do we think that Russell Moore would have any issue um, working with and associating himself with a man who led a hospital as a scientist and public health leader that was buying the bodies of freshly murdered black people through allegedly systemic racism, chopping them up to create black humanized mice to perform experiments to extend our own lives. Mm. Yes, we all know Russell Moore would have nothing to do with such a man. Why? Because it's not politically expedient for him to be associated with quote-unquote systemic racism, but it is politically expedient for him to be associated with the real example of systemic racism today, the murder of more unarmed black lives in the womb Every two weeks, and the KKK lynched in a century, so he can get a seat at the secular table of secular liberalism. Mm. Um, so mm. that's just so, to put it in flesh, like a r- real day example of what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit more about um, your heart for a, a robust Christian civic engagement, and even on uh, certainly on pro life issues. Yeah. Because Christian academics don't speak out against abortion. You're mm-hmm. breaking a rule, Dr. Rowan. You're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're supposed to say you're personally pro life, but you vote for Democrats because Phil Vischer of the Veggie Tales told me that Democrat policies decrease abortion rates. Talk a little bit more about sort of your heart of what we're talking about, and specifically for life. As you're in a community of people who probably hate you, but you're you're still in that community of the Christian academic, uh, all of whom seem to fold like a cheap suit.
1: Yeah, there are there are faithful and good folks out mm-hmm. there. Not everybody's called to to engage public square issues like I am. So so let that be said. But fundamentally, uh, I didn't get into this into Christian theology and the seminary because. I wanted a seat at the table because mm. I wanted a, a good 401k match and a not great salary, certainly, but a decent salary, yeah. so at least so the kids can go to Christian school and that sort of thing. Maybe one or two vacations a year. I got into it thinking I was going to be a pastor. Mm. I grew up in coastal Maine. It was an unvarnished kind of Baptist context. It was a tell-it-straight context. Right. And what I have learned since is that the evangelical academic world—not always, but in some places, is a good number of places—is kind of allergic to bold statement of the truth. Hmm. And the reality is that Christian civic engagement or educational engagement, choose your category, is all funded— by the mind that God has given us for his glory. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, right. and strength. Matthew 22, 34 to 39, love of neighbor flows out of that. And so I simply want to love God with my mind. I don't do that as I should. I sin in many ways, stumble in many ways. James 3, 2, we all do. For sure. But fundamentally, we are not operating from a position of weakness mm-hmm. as Christian intellectuals or thinkers, choose choose the term you want to use, we are operating from a position of divine strength. Hmm. And what we are called to do as Christians is to flood all markets with truth. That's it. That's all we're there for. We're not there for brand. We're not there for status or image
0: or wealth or
1: accolades. We are not there for that. Hmm. Christian intellectuals and thinkers and professors carry a cross on their back the same way that any other believer does. And I despise the the, the 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 distinction that seems to be drawn repeatedly in our world by men like Vischer and uh, Karen Swallow Prior, in some occasions, yeah. between sort of a, a highbrow evangelicalism and then a cracker barrel evangelicalism, yes, they tried to spin yes, that. Yeah. But fundamentally, I, <laughs> I despise that. I, they I don't like blue
0: collar Christianity. Yeah, I mean the working class. They have. Dis- they, I think they have disdain for the working class. I think they see them as dumber.
1: I think they really do see uh, a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Christians, born again believers, as kind of backwoods Christians. And I'm, I'm going to guess that they would say, and I would certainly hope that they don't despise them, but at least what comes out uh, of some of what they say ends up sounding a lot like despisal. Now you and I, um, want to engage culture. We want to, we want to be a positive voice out there. We want to be thoughtful. Um, you know, we're not dressed in, in overalls, you know, with, with, uh, with weird t-shirts underneath them or something like this. Okay. So, so there is, there is a, a sense of being, I don't know, refined. culturally engaged, yeah. refined, cosmopolitan, you know, kind of uh, dignified, gentlemanly, yeah, modern, yeah. whatever. But I, if, I, if, if I wear a tie and try to present something thoughtfully, I should never, in my mind, think that in being able to give a presentation or a lecture or sermon or, or something like this, um, that I am now mm. distanced from... Yeah. My roots in a 50 good. person backwoods rural Baptist church in Maine or better than yeah. Or better than. That's I have good. not transcended it. I am not better than those people. Yeah. I may have read a few more books than them, but those people are my people and that's where yeah. that's where Seth I think a lot of the things that we've already talked about here quickly yeah. start to coalesce because I think a lot of a lot of professing evangelicals do want to transcend the backwoods yeah. or wherever they're from, right. and that's so tragic. Yeah, it's so tragic.
0: Well, and it's the Bill Buckley line, right? Um, that I would sooner trust the <laughs> first two thousand people in the white pages to govern me mm-hmm. than the faculty at Harvard University. Absolutely. Um, and you know, when you when you read history, you know, especially. Nazi Germany, right, mm-hmm. with with Bonhoeffer and mm-hmm. Eberhard Bethke and mm-hmm. the Confessing Church. Yep. Um. You know that was that was a issue and struggle for them as well. Mm-hmm. Was I mean even, even people like Karl Barth. You know mm-hmm. Barth. Did I say it right? Barth. 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 Um. You know there and he was he was solid on some things certainly. Um. But so. but not on not on others. And right there is this cowardice. Okay. It can be cowardice because they know better, or it can be full on ideology, meaning they are ideologically inclined towards progressivism or right. towards a personally pro-life ethic, but not asserting my beliefs in the public square to end abortion type of ethic. Right. And and you see that with intellectuals so much. And the reason why I was blasting Russell Moore is he's just the latest and greatest example of that. Now going to Christianity today and this think tank and he can espouse ideas while while flinching at the one point that he's needed the most. It's Uh, Maybe you heard the Martin Luther line. It's actually attributed to him, and I I can't find the direct quote, but Mm -hmm. if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that point at which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, Mm. I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christianity, Mm -hmm. where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven, Mm -hmm. and to be steady on every other battlefield is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one point. Mm. And what's the one point that the church is flinching at? I mean, I, 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 we could probably come up with various answers, but from a moral perspective, it's abortion. Yeah, This is the greatest genocide in human history. And the, the church is as silent, if not more silent, on this genocide than the German church was on the Holocaust and the American church was on slavery. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, and it's actually funded. The silence is funded by <clears throat> a sense that we should be harvesting our cultural capital for the coming truly, really awful, crackdown on the church. Hmm. So COVID, in air quotes, w- was not worth spending our cultural capital on. Right. Um, uh, abortion hmm. seemed like it was worth spending our cultural capital on. Falwell and the moral majority, backwoodsers, right. they spent some capital there, but sure. we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> what we need to save our cultural capital for is not COVID or abortion the the priority of the gathered church mm-hmm. under lockdowns uh, certainly it's not for fighting leftism mm-hmm. at the political level because the church is air quotes neither left nor right which is one of the things that most shoots my <laughs> blood pressure up uh, into the it's into the, the stratosphere right? it's the it's, middle wayism Tim Keller loves middle wayism so what is worth spending our capital on according to some and mm-hmm. I'm talking about conservative evangelicals sure. here is going to be maybe the late stages of the LGBT fight, in order that there can still be a church. There's a, there's <laughs> right,
0: a. Right, right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, wait. Uh, uh, you guys need to understand what he just meant by that. Uh, the the push from the left with things like the Equality Act, which is why John MacArthur um, was calling on pastors throughout America and Canada to come out against Trudeau's uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, new law thing that they were talking about, which essentially. You know, down to brass tacks, it's gonna make it preaching the gospel illegal mm-hmm. um, in in uh, Canada because mm-hmm. you can't talk about man and woman, you can't talk about image of God because you know gender is fluid. There's 135 genders. So so what what Dr. Owen is just saying, you guys, is that some conservatives and maybe maybe we're thinking about people like Albert Moeller, who have been faithful before mm-hmm. but now seem to be caving at the one point that they're needed the most mm-hmm. are now sort of girding up their loins on transgenderism because if something like the Equality Act were to happen and we don't become the Phyllis Schlaf Phyllis Schlafly's of our day, because she Mm -hmm. defeated the Equality Act decades ago, Mm -hmm. that the very gospel itself will be made illegal because of this satanic worldview known as transgenderism. I think that's what you were getting at. Yep. So what you guys used to understand what he just said is powerful. It's like, what he's saying is like, oh, now some conservative Christian leaders and, and pastors are now gonna start being courageous because just preach the gospel, air quotes, is now being compromised when you should have been contending in the public square the whole time. Yeah. It's powerful what you just said.
1: Well, thank you. And so the, the argument is we're, at, we're, we're not going silent. We're not, we're not um, being unwise or cowardly. You guys are rabble-rousers <laughs> because you keep saying all these moral ideas, you keep bringing them into the public square. We're the ones who are actually going to ensure that the church survives because we're going to show up for the fight over the Equality Act. Great, great reference on your part, or whatever iteration it takes. Right. Uh, if it has to morph, they'll morph it, be assured sure. of that, be very assured yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, So we're going to show up for that fight. You guys are just causing us tons of problem, and we are losing market share by the hour because you guys won't stop banging the drum about abortion and all these other issues. And what men like you and I say and stand for is that moral witness Mm. is not calculated according to anyone's clock or anyone's sense of cultural capital. Whatever capital you accrue as a Christian is to be spent. The Lord of heaven and earth spent every penny of his capital when he bled out on a Roman cross, naked and humiliated. That is where we go to understand how we spend cultural capital.
0: Whoa, that's so good, bro. That is so good, Owen. Um, I talked about that in my talk today, right? Was mm-hmm. this whole idea of the Christian witness can't compromise the Christian witness, can't stain it with associating it with any political party. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the same people who say that don't allow their Ideological sword to cut both ways, meaning the same people who say that I can't vote for Trump, for example, you know, and because uh, it'll it'll ruin my Christian witness and my leftist friends, they're not concerned, strangely enough, ironically enough, Owen, with how their Christian witness their public witness has been harmed through their silence on issues like abortion, Correct. because there are a lot of atheists, agnostics, and 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 agnostics mm-hmm. who are still who are still operating off of a Judeo-Christian worldview. While not acknowledging its source. They're they're borrowing Great our point. worldview to make sense of their um their moral lives. But they're not acknowledging the source of that truth, mm-hmm. and so there are many people like this. and It doesn't seem to be that way because the mainstream media won't highlight these people. But I'm—we meet these people all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They—they're they, pro-life. They hate transgenderism. They don't like the idea of wokeism. But they're not Christians, right? Well, they need the gospel, right? So, so you're hey hey Russell Moore, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, you've harmed your Christian witness hmm. by not speaking out against abortion because mm-hmm. these agnostic or theist pro-lifers are are thinking. They're thinking the Schaefer line. If the church can't speak out against something as evil as killing a baby, the world has the right to ask whether Christ is real. But they're not concerned with how their witness has been harmed to those people through their silence on abortion. (laughs)
1: That is a very fair and apt point. It's what we have seen in Canada. It's what is happening all over the world as a small group of pastors in many places like Canada. James Coates. James Coates, Jacob Rayome, Tim Stevens, Steve Richardson. Those are four Canadian pastors across denominations who have kept their church open and have paid a terrible price for doing so. Right. It's not just about literally keeping lights on, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not just about uh, the, the the gathered body worshiping the Lord of heaven and earth. That's all extremely significant. But it is also that this is a, a moment of witness. So mm. you closing your church to honor Caesar is actually you losing, to your point, your yeah. opportunity to display a counter cultural cosmic witness to the principalities and powers beyond the air that there is something more to your life than being liked or approved of it is worth it is worth going to jail in mm. order to gather the flock of Jesus Christ Whoa. and what what rallied me to write my book Christianity and wokeness yes yes was, talk about this yeah was and engage on these issues in similar fashion was actually exactly what you said a minute ago i I didn't have my arms fully around critical race theory like four years ago. I knew I knew this was bad, right? Sure. Like a lot of people out there, a lot of people probably listening to this even now, yeah. they haven't read five pages of critical race theory. Most of us uh, have not had the, the the misfortune of having to encounter such texts, <laughs> yeah, yeah, such yeah, yeah. garbled sociology, which is literally yeah, that's m- right, meaningless in yeah. so many ways. But um, but when you see a Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. a uh, Douglas Murray even now like Sam Harris. Yeah. It's real the world has shifted right. under the feet of many evangelical leaders and they don't understand that we're not back in the days when the new atheism was fighting us. Sure. Now the new atheists weird super weirdly are on the same side.
0: Yeah. Uh, on this issue. Mm-hmm. They hate wokeness because that's what tyranny does. Tyranny causes strange bedfellows.
1: It t- it causes strange bedfellows and so to bring this all uh this little tangent to a close, there's a tremendous gospel opportunity uh, for us with that crowd, and if Tucker Carlson (laughs) can spit blames on Fox News about wokeness, about tyranny, about um, the immorality of the left, um, et cetera, and so on. Yeah. And he is some sort of, I don't know... Episcopalian who doesn't really show up to a congregation seems like that that often. I don't know his heart, but um, why would men who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, saved by the blood of Jesus, and going to heaven, thus allowing them freedom to speak, saying basically nothing? Yeah, that's right. So I I wasn't I wouldn't say I don't know if I was shamed into speaking by by the 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 kind of intellectual dark web. (laughs) But at the very least, I was prodded and poked, and I hope many will be as well. Good for you, Owen.
0: Let's finish with this, um, just to bring these worlds back together about sort of Christian higher academia. Uh, I'm just an undergraduate, you know, Westmont College. I I have no higher education, maybe one day, but... Um, but you know, you got friends like my friend Charlie Kirk who who could who could literally walk not just historical and political but also theological circles around some pastors today is all self-taught, mm-hmm. you know, and so um you know, we'll see if I get around to it. But I wanna I wanna end with this. So <clears throat> Um, I, I talked about Westmont College today, my alma mater I shared that you heard a little bit of that yes. um, I, I sat down in a meeting with President Dr. Gail Beebe one time hmm. okay this was because I held dead baby photo signs on campus outside of the dining Commons as a junior in college with luscious locks going down to my my shoulder blade zone and uh, this was after three years of being denied permission by student government to bring in an organization I was affiliated with, the Center for Bioethical Reform to do aborted baby photos compared with um, slavery and the Holocaust, for example, ungentile unwhite Unborn, the dehumanizing of the victim class, and they didn't allow me to bring that public display onto campus after three years of requesting permission to do so. All free, didn't need funding from student government, just needed approval. So I did it myself with small handheld signs. Okay, Christianity Today covered it, life site News covered it. This was like 2012. They were pissed at me, right? 2013, 2012 um oh, a decade ago bro i'm so, sure i read about you by the way yeah no, i'm, I'm, I'm 30 now and so that was ba- that was back then from I, westmont i have big f- long lo- locks i'll show you a picture of my locks sounds back familiar. then so um so anyways i get a, an email from dr gail Beebe. he's still there okay i used to say he was spineless i now say he actually has a spine it's just made of rubber so mm-hmm. he can invert himself into any theological or political pretzel that he needs to to go along with mm-hmm. the prevailing political winds to keep his state at the, to keep his seat at the table of secular liberalism mm-hmm. um however uh, i sat down with him okay I asked him one question, Owen. I said, Dr. Gail Beebe, why doesn't Westmont take a pro-life position on the issue of abortion? Mm. It's nowhere in the student handbook, Mm. right? And here's what he said. You'll just have to trust me. Here's, quote, verbatim. Well, Seth, you can already sense the disdain for the backwoods, but well, Seth, so condescending. There's a lot of issues, and you can't expect us to take a position on all of them. What would be your response as a Christian academic, a professor at a seminary, to someone like that, to an answer like that? And then what would you kind of just say to to other Christian academics or or students at Christian undergraduate colleges who may encounter these same types of um, proclivities um, towards middle wayism?
1: I would say this is a tell. This is you know it's like the gunfighters in the old west you know you could there, there's usually for the elite gunfighters a tell for your opponent hmm. uh, the other guy's probably fast but uh, you know the way his hand twitches if you've been in fifty shootouts <laughs> like Doc Holliday or something epic like yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know Val Kilmer version um, <laughs> y- you're gonna you're gonna ha- you're gonna know what their tell is yeah. or you're gonna try to identify mm-hmm. it and that's a tell um, that is saying that I view abortion. Problem, you know, extrapolating, guessing. I view abortion as something like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's a a matter of consequence, right? But it's one of like twenty-seven different moral things I think through on a given week, and it doesn't deserve any kind of super concentrated attention at any one time. And what I would say is, abortion is the single most wicked, evil of our generation. That's right. It is not. One of 27. There are tons of evils in the world. Sure. We both know that. But this is the pinnacle. Yeah. Uh, or the nadir, I guess, of
0: Satan's um, pride and joy. Yeah, too.
1: it's it's Satan's uh g- greatest masterwork in terms of destruction of the human race. So in, in America. Um, so that's what I would say. I would say to not rally to the front lines of this issue, not not just um have a pro-life position. Check a box, right? Right, but in some form, we're not all called to pro-life advocacy, like like you are. Praise God, you're doing great work. We're not all called to.
0: But we all have a role,
1: but we all have a role. We all have a role, and um, just ev- like
0: if you were serving in a soup kitchen in 1943's Germany, and you were called to care for and love for the poor, mm-hmm. and then and then you and then Dietrich came over and was like, "Hey, could you help us in the confessing church?" Yeah. And you said, "I'm just called to the poor and the and to into uh, soup kitchens." Yeah, and and we would be like, "Dude, what?" the... The, the ashes of the burned Jew bodies are falling on your table where you're mm. loving the poor. Like, mm. good, good, I'm glad you're called to the poor. Amen, right. praise God, hallelujah. But there's a dominant moral issue happening right, right. now. That's what yeah. you're saying.
1: Right? Yes, and, and, and so every, I think, here's what I'll say in, in conclusion. I would say that every pastor who loves the Bible should be preaching on these matters, mm. should be equipping his people to understand that this is the worst moral evil of our time. Um, that they need to pray, work against, give, and fight abortion in, in all sorts of ways, and um, the church itself may not operate a pro-life clinic or something like that because I do believe in protecting the work of the church, you know, itself, but. Any church worth its salt, any Christian institution worth its salt, educational or otherwise, yeah. is going to be strongly, starkly pro-life. I, I want pastors to use language like abortion is murder. Genocide. I don't, yeah. a genocide. I don't want them to necessarily do that angrily. I don't yeah. think we need to do that. Well, t- I shared but,
0: in my talk today, Tim Keller once said, describing a woman who had had an abortion and told mm-hmm. him about it the way he recounted that story was she had experienced three abortions. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of language right. that is the tell. It's like, that's how tell. you view abortion. Oh, so your dominant focus is still on the woman. Right. Yes, we should love her, but no concern sure. for the babies who actually experienced right. The abortion.
1: Right. So, yeah, that's what I would say. There's a lot more we could spell out, but this isn't, yeah. this isn't a, an issue for the fringe, rabid, Conservative Christian political nationalists, types. right? <laughs> Christian nationalism. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, 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 Christian nationalism came in at like minute forty here. Wow, that's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, no, it's an issue for the entire church. Yeah, that's good. Just like slavery should have been in the nineteenth century, it yeah. wasn't just for William Wilberforce. That's right. Uh, we don't learn our church. lessons. Yeah, we don't learn our lessons. But let's let's um let's pray and work and ask God to wake the church up mm-hmm. and to not and and I'm sorry, I no going on. You got to wrap this, but let's uh, please young evangelicals in particular yeah don't buy into neither left nor right political philosophy that then gives you a get out of jail free card get out of uh salt and light card that's right uh free <laughs> yeah such that you don't have to engage this issue yes, um, yes. So because you buy the nanny state and welfare and all yeah. these other big state programs you need to be engaged against abortion I'm, I'm thankful you're sounding that
0: horn yeah. Good. Oh, and what a gift you are. Let's finish with this as we get back to the conference. Um, uh, Tell people where to follow you because you've got great content and commentary on on current uh, issues of the day. And then give a quick pitch about your book, Christianity and Wokeness. Oh, thank you. Thanks,
1: Seth. Uh, I am on social media. You may have heard of it. I'm on Twitter at O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. It's a Scottish last name with a Gaelic pronunciation. O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. I'm on Instagram at Prof Strand. same weird last name. Awesome. I pod- oh, and what's your podcast? Yeah. My podcast is called The Antithesis, uh, trying to show the distinction between Christianity and the world, the gospel, Wonderful. and every system. Uh, I wrote Christianity and Wokeness in summer 2021, because wokeness is a terrible ideology that is sweeping into the church and all over civilization. It is literally civilization and church-destroying if allowed to be. So that's right. it's my attempt at a 220-page book to equip uh, Christians and anyone else to understand the foe we're up against Wonderful. and to recognize that the gospel is the answer, racial reconciliation, or whatever you want to call it, has already happened in the cross of Jesus Christ, making Jew and Gentile one yeah. through the blood of the Son. So uh, that's what we need not to go third way that's right. in
0: other avenues. That's right. So good. Awesome. Owen, thank you, brother. Thank you, bro. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Again, go follow Owen. I, I, I follow a lot of his fire hot takes. He's got really good hot takes on his Instagram in particular, so go follow him. We'll put a link to the book. You need to read this book. All right, this is a Kairos turning point for the country and the church, or to quote Vodibacum, this is the fault line in the church, and and Owen has had a wonderful contribution there with his book as well. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, if you want to learn more, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, follow the show. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. A little crowdfunding you want to help the show. If you want to connect with me, follow my newsletter, see my speaking gigs, or Book me for an event, go to Seth Gruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U, B as in Baby Boy E R Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.